hello, hello. Good morning. How are you all doing? Oh, goodness. Don't be yawning out there because you're going to make me yawn. So I'm going to need you not to do that. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Good? Good? I couldn't hear you. How are y'all doing this morning? Yes, that is awesome. Well, I am so glad that you are here with us this morning uh, and have come to be a part of the service at Divine Church this morning and for week four of our series, This Is What We Do. Um, as I get set up up here, I just want to kind of introduce myself just in case I don't know you, I've never met you. Uh, my name is Alex Hanvey and I am a teaching pastor here at Divine Church, but also I uh, am part of a ministry called Hope Rising Ministries. And we get to travel and we preach at churches and other ministry events, sharing the word. And God is, has blessed us so much over the past two years that we've been doing this. And so today he's brought us here to the Vine Church and just given me the opportunity to be able to speak to you today uh, and, and share this message with you that he's laid on my heart. And as we get ready to, uh, to dive into this message, um, if, if you brought anything in here with you this morning... If you woke up and you just, you didn't feel like getting out of bed, you felt like, man, I'm just going to stay in bed and I'm just going to sleep just through the day. I'm going to use this time to, to just kind of clear my head or to be to myself. I want you to know that whatever you're carrying around right now, you can lay down today. And you don't have to carry it back out of here. Whatever burden, whatever weight, whatever pressure and, and stress that is, you don't, have to, you don't have to carry that back home with you. You can lay that down here today, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so as we get ready to dive in, I want to get some participation from you guys, so y'all better participate. Otherwise, I'm going to be standing up here by myself. So this is what I want to do. I got some questions to ask you. So this is for group A. If this is you, I want you to raise your hand when I ask this question. Not yet. Um, so who here loves planning? So, if, for instance, hold on, whoop, whoop, hold up, hold up. All right, all right, put hands back down. No, all right, hold on. <laughs> Y'all are eager. I like it. That's good. Thank you. All right, so who here likes planning? So you love the details. If you're going on vacation, you know everything you're doing from the time you leave the house to the time you come home, and you love it. Raise your hand. Okay, all right, so we got, got a, some of those control freaks and, and planners out there, all right? So this is group B. Who here absolutely hates planning? You want nothing to do with details, nothing to do with the plans. You just want somebody to tell you where to be and when to be there. Raise your hand. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Now I've got a kind of hybrid group. This is the best group of us all because I'm part of this group. Who here hates planning? You don't want to do all the planning or the details, but once that part is done, you want somebody to show it to you so you can tell them what they did right and what they did wrong. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. That's the good, we're the smart ones, we're the smart ones. So in talking about that, talking about details and planning and, you know, planning for trips and planning for life, we're doing it all the time. Whether we realize it or not, like we're always planning for something. We're planning for the week, we're planning our meals, we're planning what we're going to do on the weekend, we're planning how our day is going to be played out, when we're going to be where. Uh, and so we're always doing some type of planning. And so what I want to talk about today is the fact that God has a plan. Did you know that? Did you know that from beginning of time, day one, 
God had a plan. And his plan is still in process now. Like his plan is still in action. And God had a plan from day one until it's time for us to go to eternity with him. God has a plan. And then something else I want you to know that maybe nobody's ever told you. Maybe you never understood this or or heard this before. But did you know that you are part of God's plan? You, yourself, individually, you are part of God's plan. God's plan involves you. God's plan is about you. And you are part of God's plan. You have a purpose in God's plan. And God's plan, what we're going to talk about today is that we are God's plan for growing the church. You and I are part of God's plan for growing the church. Here at The Vine, we've been going over, this is week four, like I said, of of this series. And so each week, we're going through core values of what we believe. And so here at The Vine, we believe that we are God's plan for growing the church. Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you never knew that you were involved in what God was doing and what God wanted to do. But that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to see how we, individually and as a, as a whole, we are part of God's plan. And so in order to, to do that this morning, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn, we're going to be in Ephesians starting in chapter 1 this morning. So if you have your Bible and you want to flip there, if you have your phone or tablet and you want to click there, then go ahead and get ready because that's where we're going to be reading out of this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 8. And this is what it says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8 says, with all wisdom and understanding. Now, let me give you a little backstory here. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And so these are Paul's words to the church. But listen to them and read them as though these are Paul's words to you. Because that's what they are. They're they're Paul's words to you and to, to myself. And so he writes and says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven, and on earth under Christ. And so this right here, these three verses are going to be our core scripture for this entire message. Everything that we do is going to come from this right here. And so I, I want us, we're really going to break it down and we're going to break it down into three parts to really see and to really understand how we are part of God's plan. We're going to see what God's plan is. We're going to see how we're a part of that. And so the first verse here, verse 8, where it says, with all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So his will. You see, his will is his plan. His plan. So our point number one for this message is that God has a will or God has a plan. And if you don't believe me, well... Paul is going to continue explaining this to us, and he's going to kind of reveal to us in his letter to the church in Ephesus what that looks like and what that is. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, this is what Paul writes. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
Now, before I continue on and before I go on, I want you to, to notice there how Paul writes. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't say a few of you were dead, but he says you. Because it's included all of us. Because we were, at one point in time, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we were dead. We're all included. It's important to understand that none of us are excluded from this group. None of us are excluded from this, this punishment, the sin that, it, that he's talking about here, these transgressions. We were all there. And so he goes on to say, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so again, Paul says, he makes sure that, he, that everybody hearing this and reading this knows it's all of us. He wants us to understand we were all separated from Christ. We were all separated from God and we needed something to get us back. We couldn't do it on our own and we couldn't do it by ourselves. And so he keeps using you were and all of us. But also notice he's writing in a, a past tense that we were, that you were, that I was, that we used to. And so he goes on and says, like the rest, we, all of us again, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, we deserved punishment. We deserved wrath. We deserved death. And Paul is making sure that everybody knows that. And I want you to know that, is that we deserve far worse than what we get from Christ. And so, as Paul continues writing, the next word says, but. In the Bible, it's full of buts, just like this right here. These are the ones that, that make you understand that something is going to happen. Something is going to take place. It's not just the way that it was. And so, Paul throws that in there, and he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, these verses here, 1 through 5, Paul is just hammering it in of that we deserve death, that we've done nothing to earn the grace and the mercy and the love and the sacrifice that we've been shown through Christ. You see, Paul wants them to realize where they were. Because, see, the, the ones he's writing to is the church. He's writing to the believers, those who say they follow Christ. And so he wants them to understand where they came from. But then he throws it in. But because of his great love, not but because of your great works, not but because of all that you've done and how awesome you are. No, Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then Paul continues, if we skip down a few verses to verse 8, Paul continues to kind of explain the whole by grace, because it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see, where we get caught up in life a lot of times is we think we have to 
achieve everything. It's all on us. It's all on our shoulders. We have to work our way to get to a certain status, to get to a certain place in life. But Paul is making it clear that it's not up to you, and it's not up to me. We didn't earn it. We're not given this because we are so awesome. It's through grace, by us placing our faith in Christ, that we are given this life that Paul talks about. We're given salvation. You see, Paul was hammering it in that at one time we were separated from God, and that is absolutely the truth. But now we have a way to be reconciled with God, which we're going to talk more about in just a second, because if we read one more verse down in verse 10, Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, what I want you to understand here is that it's not, we're not here to, to receive this grace and mercy from Christ and then just go sit on the sidelines, sit on the bench while everybody else is in the game and everybody else is out there doing something. Everybody else is playing their part. They understand that they have a, a purpose in God's plan. And so that's where we need to be today. When we leave here, we need to understand that that we have, a, we have a part in this plan that God has, that is unfolding, that God has set forth. We have a purpose. We're not just here to, to have this light inside of us of Christ when we enter into a relationship with Him and just to keep it to ourselves. But like Tyler mentioned this morning, we are here to let everybody see this light. See, it's not just for ourselves, but we're here. We're given this light for a purpose for a reason, and it's to do something with it, to do something about it. And so that leads us into point number two. His plan, God's plan, is purposed in Christ. God's plan is purposed in Christ. And if you didn't get that already from the scripture that we wrote before, I'm going to prove it to you because Paul writes, and we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to just listen to this. If you don't think that Jesus is at the center of God's plan and that God's plan is purposed in Christ, just listen to this. Starting at verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Verse 18 says, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So that right there, that is God's plan. And that proves and that, that clarifies and that points out that Jesus is at the center of God's plan. Jesus is all inside God's plan. God's plan is purposed through Christ. And so if Jesus is at the center of God's plan, 
then Jesus should be at the center of our lives. You see, that's another thing that we believe here at the Vine Church is that Jesus is the center. And that's what Tyler talked about on week one is how Jesus is the center of the Vine Church and he should also be the center of our lives. But you see what happens to us a lot of times and it's human nature. I mean, it, it's, it comes natural to us. Is in order for Jesus to be the center of our lives, that means that we have to understand and realize that we're not the center of our lives. And that this universe and that everyone around us, we, they don't revolve around us and ourselves and our needs, our wants, our desires. You see, we're, we're born... Just like Paul pointed out, we're born selfish. We want it all about me. We want it to be everything I want. Let it be what I need. But that's not how God created us to be. That's not where we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. Because if Jesus is at the center of God's plan, he needs to be at the center of our lives. And in order for us to ever realize that we have a purpose and that we are part of God's plan... Jesus has to, has to be at the center. Jesus has to be first. And then everything else starts to fall into place. Everything else starts to make sense. Everything else becomes a little more clear. Once we, once we come to the understanding that it's not about me, that everything doesn't revolve around me, once we realize that, once we understand that, then everything else makes sense. Our perspective changes. When our focus is on Christ, then our focus is not on ourselves. And when our focus is on Christ, we begin to focus on what He focuses on, right? And Christ, who is He focused on? Everybody. And so instead of looking at ourselves, we look at what He cares about. We look and, and we try to do and we try to reflect and, and we serve those who He came to serve. It's not about people serving me and people taking care of me and people doing what I want, but it's about us doing what he wants, and that is us serving one another, loving on each other, helping each other, and caring for each other, which leads us into point number three. So first we talked about that God has a plan. God has a plan. We know that. And that God's plan is purposed in Christ. And then point number three, which comes back from our uh, from our core scripture this morning is that God's plan is to bring unity. God's plan is to bring unity. And so I'm going to read real quick just again to go back over the three verses that we talked about first from Ephesians 1. It says, With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will, His plan, according to His pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And that's in order to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so that's how the three points that we're talking about this morning, the three things we're focusing on, that's where they come from. That's how they, they come about. And Paul continues writing about this in his letter to the church in Ephesus when he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, again, what I want you to understand is that you have a purpose. You have a calling. 
Have you ever answered that calling? Has anyone ever told you that you have a calling? Did you know that you have a purpose? That's what I want you to understand this morning. When you walk out of here, I don't want you to walk out with the baggage that you carried in. I want you to walk out with the truth of knowing that you are called, that you have a purpose, that you have a plan, and that God wants you on His team. And God wants you in the game, not on the sideline, not watching everybody else participate and watching what everybody else does. And that's where we get that from in Ephesians 4, verse 1. But then Paul continues writing. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So do you see the theme there in those verses that we are one, that there is one God, one Father, one Spirit. We have one Savior. There's no other way to make it to heaven except through Christ. And there's one body, one body of believers. But what does the world try to do? Right now in this country, what are we facing more than just about anything? The world and the enemy wants to divide us. Unity is the farthest thing from what we see on the news today. You flip it on and you watch for five to ten minutes. And all you see is division. People taking sides. People saying, I'm right and you're wrong. But that's not what God's called us to. That's not the life that God has called us to live. That's not the reflection of Christ that we are to have. Because Jesus didn't come to divide, but he came that we may be unified through him. Because he's what? He's at the center of God's plan. He draws all things to him. You see that the enemy wants to do just like, if you ever have ever watched Animal Planet or National Geographic, and you've watched lions hunt, they don't go after an entire pack of animals and try and take them all down. But rather they try to separate they try to divide them because they understand that, hey, if we divide, we can conquer. And that's exactly what the enemy's doing to us as, as believers and to everybody. He wants us on opposite sides. We see one another and we're like, okay, these people are like me, so I'm going to go over here. Those people are not like me, so they must be wrong. They believe differently than I do. They sound differently than I do. I need to find the people who are just like me. And we feel like, hey, we're unified right here, but we don't realize that we've got 12 other groups around us and how divided we truly are. You see, we, we call this nation the United States of America, but how many, of, how many people inside each different state can really say that they are united with everybody in this country? You see, and that's not just in America, but that's all over the world. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to see other people as different, not as beautiful like God created us. He wants us to be divided and he wants us to be separated because he knows that when we're divided, we're weaker. 
Because when we stand together and when we are unified, we are stronger and we can accomplish more and we can go farther and we can do more than we can by ourselves or in just a a group of a few. You see, God doesn't call us to live in division, but in unity. And this world is full of, of division. And we are not meant to stand divided under our own agendas and our own name. But we are meant to stand unified and together under one name. And that is Jesus Christ. And when we focus on that, and when we, when we allow Him to be the center of our lives, we become connected already. And we're unified and we draw together as the body of believers. Paul continues writing in Ephesians chapter 4, a few verses down, verse 11. And this is what he said. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I can't express enough to you, and I can't say it enough, how if we want to be unified as a body of believers, it's only when we're unified together through our faith in Christ. It's only when we put Him at the center where He belongs that we draw together, like Paul was writing before, and like it said in Colossians, when we draw together because he holds all things together it's not up to you and it's not up to me to accomplish God's plan on our own and separated but it's when we come together as the body and when we put Christ at the center and so as we talk back I want to just give the points again point one is that God has a plan point two is that God's plan is purposed in Christ and point three is that God's plan is so that we bring unity, so that we build the body of believers. Just like we believe at the Vine Church is that we are part of God's plan for growing the church. You see, maybe, maybe you've been to church all your life. You've been to church for 10 years, for 15 years, for 30 years. Maybe you've been to church for even longer than that, but you've never believed and you've never been told that you have a part in what God's doing that you have a, a part in his plan and his purpose. And so maybe you're thinking, well, that sounds great, but what do I need to do? How do I become part of God's plan? How does that, how do I fit in? I'm going to give you one simple, really easy way. I say easy, it's, it can be tough, but it's, it's just one thing that you can do, that you have to do, that you need to do, that, that you can do in order to be a part of what God's doing and how he's growing his church. Share your story. It's that simple. Share your story. We like, to, we like to talk to people, right? Many of us. I know a couple in here that like to talk a lot. Grew, grew up back, back there. But we like to talk, right? We like to tell people about ourselves. We like to share what's going on. We like to, oftentimes we like to hear about other people. And we like to know how things are going in their lives. So share your story. If you want to really be a part of God's plan, if you really want to answer that calling that God has for your life, share your story. Tell people what Christ has done for you. Because like Paul was talking, we once were 
separated. If you call yourself a believer, if you say that Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are alive. But at one point, you were dead. You were separated. You were, you were divided from God Himself. But as followers of Christ, He has given us hope. He has given us life. And through Him and through our faith in Him, we have purpose and meaning. And so I want to give you an example of that. And it comes from John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you want to follow along or we will have uh, scripture on the screen here. But John chapter 1 verse 35 says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And then it goes on to say, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You see, John the Baptist is who this was talking about. And he pointed out to his disciples, to the people with him, hey, there's Jesus. Look. And then it says that they followed Jesus because John pointed it out. John said, hey, there's Jesus. John saw Jesus. John knew where Jesus was. And he pointed it out to people who did not know where Jesus was at that moment. So are you telling people about Jesus? Are you sharing your story and pointing out, hey, there's Christ. Let me tell you about him. Let me show him to you. And then in verse 38, it goes on and it says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And it goes on to say, Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And it goes on to say the first thing Andrew did, he didn't wait. He knew it was too good to wait. He knew that he could not wait. And so it says the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ and then verse 42 says, and he brought him to Jesus. Not only did he just go to say, hey man, I know Jesus, I'll see you later. No, he said, I know Jesus. He has done something great in my life. Let me show him to you. Let me take you to him. And it, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter goes on to say, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him. See, Philip didn't wait. Philip did the same thing as Andrew and he said, I have got to tell somebody about this. I know someone who needs to hear about Jesus. I know somebody who is hurting, who is searching who is lost, who is lonely, who is broken. I know someone who needs to meet and to hear and to experience the life-changing grace and love that comes from Jesus Christ. And so Philip goes to Nathaniel and it says he found him. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Before I tell you what happens next, which you probably already know, I want you to—I I really want you to notice this because 
I've never thought about this before until just reading it right now. It says that Philip found Nathanael. And the first thing he says was that we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. You see, Nathanael knew who Jesus was. Nathanael had probably read about Jesus. Nathanael had heard people talk about Jesus and heard people preach about Jesus and teach about Jesus. But yet, Nathanael didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Nathanael didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. He had all the intellectual knowledge, but he didn't know him personally. And so in verse 46, it says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And it goes on to say in verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is the Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then it says in verse 49, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these. I want you to understand. I want you to know that whether you have a relationship with Jesus, whether you know Jesus intellectually, not just personally, Jesus knows you. Jesus has been watching you. Jesus has his eye on you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus is concerned for you, and he has compassion and mercy for you. Jesus loves you. More than anybody has ever loved you in your entire life, I promise you, Jesus loves you that much more, 10 times more, a thousand times more. And that's what he's proved to us on the cross. And in verse 51, he then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Nathaniel went from an intellectual went from intellectual knowledge about who Jesus was to having a personal, deep, relationship with who Christ truly is. Because he understood that Jesus has been watching him even when he thought he was by himself. Jesus always has his eye on us. Jesus is always there for us and he always cares for us. So as we get ready, as we're wrapping up here, I want you to understand that you have a part in God's plan. That God has this big, grand plan and he wants you to be a part of it. Have you answered that call to say, Lord, let me be a part of what you're doing. Let me be a part of your plan. But before you can ever answer a call to be a part of his plan, you've got to answer that initial call to go from intellectual knowledge of who Christ is to a personal relationship with him. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never even heard that Jesus loves you, that Jesus has been watching you your entire life. That everything you've gone through, when you thought you were there by yourself, when you thought there was nobody else around, Jesus was there. You just didn't know it because you were not looking for him. Because you didn't, you didn't know that his love was that great for you, that he would never leave you alone and that he would never let you be by yourself. And so this morning, I'm going to give you that opportunity. We're going to pray here in just a second. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. 
to enter into a relationship with Christ. To go from just hearing about it to believing it. And just from knowing about it to feeling it. And we're going to take a step of faith. We're going to put our faith in Christ so that you can experience that grace, that life-changing love that brings us new life, brings us salvation that comes only through our faith in Him. So if everybody would, bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If that's you this morning, if, if you know that you've never asked Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never made that profession of faith in Him, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. It's going to be, it's going to be easy to say these words, but it's not just that you say these words, but it's that you mean these words that you say, that you believe them. And so if that's you, if you want to take that step of faith, if you want to, if you want to cross from the way you used to live from death and cross into life and a new life and a new hope in Christ, then pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I have lived my life the way that I wanted to. Forgive me of my sins. Let your love, your mercy, and compassion fall over me. I turn from my ways to your ways. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you lived the perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the grave in victory that I may have life through faith in you. Help me to follow you the rest of my days the best that I know how. With everyone's head bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that with me just then and you know that was the first time and you meant it and it was 100% legit and you place all your faith in Christ and He is your Lord and Savior, I want you to do something for me. Nobody else is looking but me. I want you to raise your hand when I count to three. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it 100%. One, two, three. Good. Good. If you're here this morning and you're ready to get off the bench, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you never stepped into the game, I'm praying for you right now. Because I want you to know what it means and what it feels like to fully accept his calling on your life. Lord Jesus, please be with each and every one of us here today. Be with us in this moment. Help us to experience you. Help us to answer the call that you have for our life. To stand up and to get in the game. To be part of your plan and your purpose. Lord Jesus, I just pray for your grace to fill us today your love and your mercy to surround us. Lord, help us to leave whatever baggage we came in with and carry out the freedom, the joy, and the life and the excitement and the fulfillment of having purpose in your plan and in who you have called us to be. Lord, I thank you so much for this day, for this time that we've had together. As we wrap up worship, Lord, just help us to be free to lift our hands and to lift our voices to praising you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.